Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Tom Martins and Molly Martins? Molly Martins was primarily raised in Knoxville, Tennessee, along with her three brothers. Her father, Tom, was an FBI agent. Her mother's name was Sharon. Molly went to college, but developed mononucleosis and dropped out. She met a man named Keith McGinn in 2007. The couple became engaged, but it appears as though the relationship was troubled. With the relationship in an uncertain place, Molly moved to Limerick, Ireland in March of 2008 when she was 24 years old. She answered an advertisement for a nanny placed by a 32-year-old man named Jason Corbett. He had two young children, Jack and Sarah. Jason's wife had unexpectedly died from an asthma attack in 2006. Jason worked for an international packaging company as a plant manager. Within seven months, Jason and Molly were deeply in love. On February 14, 2010, they became engaged. Jason was able to transfer to another packaging plant in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He always wanted to live in the United States. The couple moved there in May of 2011. On June 4, 2011, Jason and Molly married in Tennessee. According to Molly, Jason started mistreating her verbally, physically, and emotionally. She claimed that she sustained injuries that required medical attention. Jason would be violent for a while, then apologize, saying that things would improve, but invariably he would return to the harmful behavior. She suggested that he was controlling and paranoid. He thought that she was going to leave him for another man. Molly said that Jason would sometimes choke her before or during sex. She didn't want to leave Jason because of the two children, Jack and Sarah. Jason had told Molly that she could adopt the two children but he never honored this commitment. So if the pair became divorced, Molly would not be able to see the children. The reality of what would happen as far as custody if the couple divorced was on their minds. They both talked to attorneys about custody during their marriage. Molly continued to be unhappy in the marriage, but thought if she could stick it out long enough, she could make a good case to a judge to win custody. In 2014, Jason told his sister, Tracy, that he was lonely and homesick. He was considering returning to Ireland. Around the same time, the relationship between Tom Martins and Jason disintegrated, mostly because of the arguments between Jason and Molly about custody rights. Now moving to the timeline of the alleged crime. 
This is the account of what happened from Tom and Molly. On August 1, 2015, Tom Martins and his wife Sharon decided to stay at the residence of Jason and Molly. The children, Jack and Sarah, were there as well. Tom had brought a Little League aluminum baseball bat as a gift for Jack. Sometime around 3 a.m., Sarah woke up and came downstairs from her second-story bedroom to the first-story master bedroom. Sarah was upset because she believed that the drawings of fairies on her blanket were actually bugs and lizards. Molly comforted Sarah and took her back to bed. Molly returned to the master bedroom only to have Jason start an argument about Sarah's behavior. Molly was more assertive in the argument because her parents were in the house. Tom Martins and his wife were sleeping in the guest bedroom in the basement. Tom claimed that he woke up to a scream and loud voices, which were emanating from the first floor master bedroom. He jumped out of bed, retrieved the Little League baseball bat, and made his way to the first floor. Tom opened the door to the master bedroom to see Jason and Molly in a physical altercation. Jason was attempting to strangle Molly using his right arm. He had her in a chokehold. Both Jason and Molly turned toward Tom. They had a surprised expression on their faces. Jason refused to discontinue his potentially lethal behavior. He said he was going to kill Molly. Tom joined in the fight, striking Jason repeatedly with the small baseball bat. Tom saw Molly starting to lose the fight, like she was losing consciousness, as Jason was dragging her toward the master bathroom. Tom became particularly concerned because he believed that if Jason could get in the bathroom, he would simply close the door, and now Tom would be unable to save Molly's life. As Tom continued to strike Jason with the bat, he grabbed it and pulled it away from Tom. He was getting ready to strike Tom with the bat when Molly retrieved a paving brick that was on her nightstand. She smashed Jason in the head with the paving brick. Tom managed to get the bat back and struck Jason until he considered the threat to be terminated. Tom called 911 just after 3 a.m. He said that he may have killed his son-in-law with a baseball bat. When the police arrived at the house, they noticed that neither Tom nor Molly had any injuries whatsoever. They were just in a life-and-death physical struggle, yet somehow managed to remain unscathed. Jason was not as fortunate. He had sustained at least 12 blows to his head and had skull fractures. The fractures were similar to those sustained from a motor vehicle collision or falling from a great height. The police repeatedly warned Molly because she kept vigorously rubbing her neck as if she was trying to make it look like she had been strangled. Jason's body was cold as if Tom and Molly had waited a few hours before calling the police. Tom and Molly were charged with second-degree murder and involuntary manslaughter on January 6, 2016. In August of 2017, they were both convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison. In February of 2020, the murder convictions were overturned on appeal for a few reasons, but primarily it was due to the exclusion of statements made by the children from the first trial. Tom and Molly were offered a plea deal, which would have resulted in minimal jail time. Evidently, they turned it down. At the time of making this video, the state is preparing to retry the case. Tom and Molly are out on bail, and Jason's children 
lived with his sister Tracy in Ireland. Now moving to my analysis. Were Tom and Molly actually guilty? Even though their convictions were overturned, many people believe they are guilty. As I mentioned, they are facing a retrial. Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that they were guilty. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick and me, Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. Starting with the inculpatory evidence, there is no question that both Tom and Molly participated in killing Jason. Molly's claims that Jason mistreated her are not well supported. She never reported anything like that to the police. Neighbors of Jason said they never saw any indication that he was harming Molly. She never had any bruises. She talked to people openly. She never appeared to be frightened of Jason, and she even made jokes about him. One neighbor implied that Molly's stories were not always consistent. After killing Jason, Molly admitted that she had repeatedly told lies for some time, saying that sometimes she lied because Jason lied first. Here are a few examples of lies that Molly told. Molly and Jason agreed to a backstory that conveniently omitted that she was his nanny when they met. They first delivered this line at a dinner party by saying that Molly was working as an editor in Ireland when she met Jason. Molly told people that she had a little sister who died of cancer. The reality was that she didn't have a sister at all. She only had brothers. A college roommate said that Molly kept a framed photo of this little sister, but upon examination, the roommate noticed that the photo in the frame is the one that came with it when it was sold, like it was a model in the picture. The same model would have appeared in many different frames at the store. On one occasion, when Molly was arguing with Jason about his bad behavior, she sent him an email in which she wrote, Other than my sister's death, nothing has ever devastated me so much. Molly made it seem as though Sarah was her biological child. She even described what the pregnancy was like. The ongoing custody argument between Molly and Jason represented a motive to kill him. Jason had indicated to his sister that he may be returning to Ireland. He also talked about transferring some of his financial assets to a bank in Ireland, so it seems clear that he was serious about this move. Molly was running out of time to make her move to get the children. Not long after he was killed, Jason's children said that leading up to his death, he had anger management issues. They said there was a lot of emotional, physical, and verbal abuse going on in the marriage. They later recanted those statements, saying they were coached to lie. Molly made secret recordings of arguments that she had with Jason, as if she was trying to build some type of case against him or documenting reasons to justify self-defense. 
Molly's mother and father ended up at Molly's house after a sudden change in plans by Tom. This was not a typical behavior for Tom. Usually he liked things to be orderly and didn't make last-minute decisions. The crime scene evidence appears to be inconsistent with self-defense. A few examples, Tom Martins just happened to be in possession of a small baseball bat. He claimed it was a gift for Jack, but Jack would later say that Tom had given him that bat the previous summer. It may have been stored in the garage. Molly just happened to have a paving brick on her nightstand, I guess because one never knows when they might wake up in the middle of the night and have a yearning to take care of some gardening. There was quite a bit of blood spatter low on the walls in the master bedroom, as if Jason had been struck when he was down. Sedatives were found in Jason's system. They matched sedatives that Molly had been prescribed just two days before the killing. The brutal nature of Jason's killing points to overkill. A much greater amount of force was used than what was necessary in a self-defense scenario. Jason's body was cold when the police arrived. It appears as though some time had lapsed. How did Tom and Molly engage in a prolonged physical altercation with a 260-pound man intent on murdering Molly and managed not to be injured in any way? Why didn't Tom's wife Sharon call 911? It seems odd that she would never get involved in the situation in any fashion. Jason had a $600,000 insurance policy, and Molly transferred money out of his accounts right after he died. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. Molly claims that she was mistreated for some time. Her reason for having a paving brick on her nightstand was that it was for some type of craft she was working on. She brought it inside the house due to concerns about the rain. If she only had selected waterproof paving bricks instead of those self-defense paving bricks, blood spatter analysis is not valid or reliable. Jason had sustained defensive wounds on his left arm, but not on his right arm. This is consistent with Tom's claim that Jason was using his right arm to choke Molly. So he was choking her with his right arm and trying to block the baseball bat with his left arm. When weighing the evidence, do I think that Tom and Molly are guilty? I think they are guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and guilty in reality. I would be surprised if they were acquitted in the retrial. They probably should have taken the plea deal. Their defense strategy is based on proving that Jason was mistreating Molly for some time. Jason may or may not have been. All that matters is what he was doing in the moment when he was killed. There is no such thing as slow-moving self-defense. Tom and Molly were not permitted to kill Jason for something that he may have done prior to August 2, 2015. Either he was a danger to Molly in that moment, or he was not. The evidence does not support the idea that he was attacking her. What do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. Molly claims that she had a history of mental health problems, including depression and anxiety. She was anxious about where she was going with her life. When she saw the job opportunity working for Jason in Ireland, she knew that love was a real possibility. She considered herself to be more attractive than Jason and knew that he was lonely. Jason's family said that Jason and Molly slept together on her first night in Ireland. Molly denies this, but admits the relationship took off very quickly. 
Molly strongly identified with the role of being a mother to Jason's children. It became a key part of her self-worth and a mechanism by which she could judge Jason's commitment to her. Like, would Jason allow her to adopt his children? That would prove his love, and it would solidify her role as the children's mother. When Jason refused to allow this, Molly became enraged. It sounds like both Molly and Jason mistreated each other. Their relationship was becoming more acrimonious. Molly kept lying to everyone around her, but people noticed the inconsistencies. She wasn't gaining any sympathy from the outside world. She wasn't building a case to be a victim. Despite this failure to bring people on her side, she was able to manipulate her father, Tom, into hating Jason by repeatedly telling Tom how aggressive and terrible Jason was. Molly knows that Tom is her only potential ally against Jason. Prior to Tom and his wife visiting Molly's house, Molly tells Tom that Jason could be violent at any time, prompting Tom to keep a weapon nearby. Early in the morning on August 2, Molly smashes Jason's head with a paving brick, but it does not kill him. Her actions may have stemmed from a fight, or they may have been premeditated. She may have given Jason those sedatives, although he may have just taken them on his own. Either way, Molly felt emboldened to kill Jason because her father was in the house. She knew that she had backup, and Tom was a former law enforcement officer. He had spent over 30 years with the FBI. Molly felt comfortable about how he would deal with any legal ramifications. Molly screams for help. Tom comes in with the baseball bat and finishes the job. Tom and Molly take some time to align their stories. Tom is overconfident because of his experience with the FBI. He figured law enforcement would just give him a pass. For this reason, Tom and Molly don't even bother to injure themselves to make it look like there was actually a physical struggle. In addition, I think that Tom probably adopted a mentality which is common in law enforcement, which says that there are good guys and bad guys. Everybody is one or the other. There is nothing on a continuum. There are only extremes. In his mind, because he killed somebody that he thought of as bad, Tom is automatically good. He forgot that both of them could be bad guys. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.